These days, work is in trouble. We've outsourced most of our manufacturing to other countries. And with that, we sent away good jobs and our capability to make things. American Giant is a clothing company that's pushing back against this tide. They make all kinds of high-quality clothing and activewear, like sweatshirts, jeans, dresses, jackets, and so much more, right here in the USA. So when you buy American Giant, you create jobs in towns and cities across the country. And jobs bring pride. Purpose. They stitch people together. If all that sounds good to you, visit American-Giant.com and get 20% off your first order when you use code STAPLE20 at checkout. That's 20% off your first order at American-Giant.com with promo code STAPLE20. What's going on, everyone? Alex Jeteris here with the Knicks episode of the Knicks, Jets, Etc. podcast. And today, we got a guest, Chris Persianen. But before we get into our real topic, let's go through a quick rundown of what we're going to talk about today. So... We're going to talk about the Mitchell Robinson trade ideas, which has been circling around Twitter. You could say you could thank Chris Persianen for a lot of those ideas. Uh, then we're going to discuss uh, Devin Booker, Chris's uh, favorite player, and the ways that we possibly can get him on this team. And then we're going to go into Chris's real ex, uh, area of expertise, which is talking draft picks, talking the eighth, the twenty seventh, and the thirty eighth. And then John, what do we got for et cetera today? What's up, Alex? For et cetera today, we'll keep it light. We'll just talk Yankees are back, playoffs right around the corner, our roster's getting healthy, and we'll get uh, some thoughts about the playoff bubble. Sounds great, John. All right, Ricey, you know what we got to do. What's going on, everyone? Welcome to the Knicks, Jets, etc. podcast. I am your host, Alex Shuteris, and with me, as always, is my co-host, my buddy, the Baldy Man, John. What's happening, bro? <laughs> What's up, man? It's uh, it's Wednesday. NFL practice starting to get back up. Knicks pictures of Tibbs riding through everywhere. Things are looking up right now. We got Tibbs pictures. We got we see him see him and RJ Barrett together. Looks like RJ's about to be the next young Jimmy Butler. We got football practice, as you said. We're not as depressed as we were Sunday. We sound a little tired and miserable from that horrendous Jets loss. But, John, we got a phenomenal guest in the building today. We got Chris Persianen, co-host of the Bleed Orange and Blue podcast, co-host of the Two A Tolerable Degree podcast, also now currently a contributor to the Knicks Film School, as well as a freshman at Fordham University. Chris, how are you doing today? What's up, guys? I'm, I'm doing great. Thanks for having me on the show. It's an honor. Uh, the introduction, far too kind, far too uh, excessive. I feel I always feel there's just, you know, you, you can be like, yeah, it's Chris. Uh, that would be enough, you know. Uh, so the, 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 big, <laughs> the big introduction is is appreciated. It's, uh, it's nice to be on the show. Of course, Chris. It's, it's, it's great to have you on the show. I've been following you since, you know, following Nick's home school, working with uh, Macri over there, doing uh, the mailbag. And then when you were writing for Nick's SI and started to follow your, all your uh, draft coverage, it's just been phenomenal. And because of your draft coverage, we just needed you on the show and just dive a little more into these prospects. Even though it's now been pushed out to November 18th, we still got to do the best we can do to let our listeners know. And who else but, you know, you to help us get through this. But before we get into uh, – the, the draft coverage you have been 
a proponent of this trade Mitchell Robinson that's been circling. Oh around. man. And you know, everyone's just been pointing. This is like, uh, we, we have to, we have to dive into this for a quick second. Uh, where did you get this idea from? Uh, why do you hate facing a jury? <laughs> um, <laughs> I get told the most wild things because of my willingness to potentially include Mitchell Robinson in the trade. Uh, because I'm willing to potentially include Mitchell Robinson in the trade, I get told I hate Mitch. I'm not a Nick fan. Um, uh, I hate. I must hate like like homegrown teams. I don't want to be good. I don't want the Knicks to be good. I want the Knicks to suck. <laughs> Why do you want the Knicks to suck? <laughs> like I get, well, I get, uh, <laughs> I get told some, I get told some ridiculous things. Uh, no, I thought about it because it was like, well, all right, we were building around two young pieces. Neither one of them can shoot. That can be okay, but let's think about it. We have to pay Mitch soon. We're going to be paying him based off his potential. He's going into year three, and he still hasn't shown an ability to pass or shoot. It's not just that he can't shoot. It's like he, can't, he doesn't have a passing game either. He can't make the passes out of the short roll that, that even like a guy like Capella um, can. Like, it's like he, he, he's a, not a good passer. He's not a good shooter. And we have to pay him soon. And I was just like... I'm I'm not even super against paying him if it comes to it. I'm not saying like let's let him walk, but could we turn him into young assets that like we'd rather have long term? Is that possible? If a team would do that, we should listen to them. And people are like, you would listen to trades for Mitchell Robinson? You are a traitor. You you hate basketball. I'm like, oh, all right, that's that's a <laughs> that's an open minded way to go about that. Um, I'm glad. I'm glad that 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 we're being so so open uh, and so so willing to to at least listen to different offers. Um, so I looked into it and I came up with this trade idea before we knew the lottery results. Obviously, it was like back in uh, maybe April. I have no I, I have no idea the exact date, but it was like, would you trade Mitchell Robinson for Lamelo Ball? if you knew you could get a Kung Wu with your own pick. So you enter the lottery with the your own pick and Mitch, and you leave the lottery with LaMelo and a Kung Wu. Would you do it? And I said I would do it. And people were like, yeah, how could you ever do that? Uh, a Kung Wu and Mitch, this and this and this and this. And I'm like, well, it's Mitch for LaMelo. It's a different, it's a totally, you know, the center is a totally different I hate to say it, but the center is becoming like the running back of the NBA. Um, we're seeing teams like the Rockets. You know, the Rockets were eliminated, but, you know, we see how far they made it without an actual center. Um, teams are getting away with the, like the, the, the bargain bin centers, right? If they have enough talent elsewhere, why, why are we going to pay a center $16 million a year when right now all he can do is – rim defense, vertical spacing, uh, which means lob threat. So I can't even say lob threat as if it's a different thing. Um, and he, you know, he, he's good coming out to the perimeter on defense too, but he's not a good post defender, can't pass, can't shoot. There's, there's a whole bunch of things that Mitch 
which concerns me with a little bit. So I, all, I, all I say is that we should look into maybe if we could swap him for some young players and or picks, we should look into it. And there's, there's some, some people are against even looking into it, which I get because we're starved for good homegrown talent. Exactly. Uh, but I don't get not just not even listening. Like why wouldn't, if you, if you have a hundred dollar bill and you really care about it and you really want to keep it, but someone's like, I'll pay you 115 bucks for it. Like you love that hundred dollar bill. But like, do you love it enough to lose out on 15 extra dollars? Like, that's pretty awesome. Getting 15 extra dollars. Like, that's, that's all I'm saying is like, we, we love our hundred dollar bill. Uh, before we have to pay a bunch of money to keep it, <laughs> can we look at swapping it for even more money? No, I, that's all. I, I totally agree with you, Chris. Um, on the aspect that you look into the possible trade options when it comes to Mitchell Robinson, right? No, like I think Knicks fans and you pointed out exactly is that we've been hungry for homegrown talent and something that's been tangible of like a good player for a very long time. And Mitchell Robinson for the value that we got him, you know, that's where I guess fans are just like, why would we even trade a guy? He's an uh, elite uh, shot blocker, good rim protector, really good lob threat, get him on the pick and roll and just have him like going hard to the basket or even out in transition. You know, that's what people love about Mitch. But as you pointed out, there are flaws to his game. He doesn't shoot. He's not really a good passer. He hasn't, he's not really someone like when they start double teaming, teaming that he looks for someone out on the, uh, the perimeter to get an open look. But and, and I understand where you're coming from. And I totally agree with you. Like if a team's calling and you can move up to get LaMelo and then get uh, Okungwu like later, who is a good shooter who did very well at USC. And if I am, if I remember correctly, he's a decent shot blocker as well. Not anywhere uh, close to what Mitch is, but he's decent enough. Um, why not get two for the price of one, which I totally agree with. I guess the thing is that when it comes to trading Mitch, like not only are fans like hesitant to trade for something good because we always get shafted on the wrong end of the deal. Like any trade that we can go back to, except for like recently, like um, I guess Mook and wherever you stand on the, the KP trade. Um, yeah. I know you're laughing over there, John. Uh, John has his feelings because we had that whole poll the other day, <laughs> but you know, the last one, which was like for Mello, didn't end too well, or even after that, Bargnani, that was just uh, horrendous. They even come out in our favor. So I think that's another concern with, when it comes to Knicks fans and looking to trade someone that is actually good. Like, And on top of that, we may have to get, we would definitely have to give up some draft capital if we want to move up to the second spot from the eighth spot in order to do a Lamello trade. But I don't even know, like, would it be possible though to keep the eight? You think it's possible? Uh, I, I think if you're trading right now with Golden State, knowing that we got the eighth overall pick, that's six spots down. I think you would have to, to wind up with two. I think you have to give them eight, use Robinson as the difference. Um, if you were trading just, you know, if you wanted to try to hold on to eight, would Robinson, a Mavericks pick, something else? Maybe could that do it? Like, maybe I don't know. Um, I think 
I think you would have to use Mitch and eight though to get up to two. I would. But why? I, why are you doing this? I don't think I would do it though. Yeah. That's the thing. What do you try? You just want to make a trade? Like you just want? No, Alex. Alex said, you know, what's the price to move up? There's the price to move up. Um, yeah. I don't think I. I don't think I'd actually look to do that. If, if I could strike a deal with Charlotte for the right price. I think I just think jumping all the way up to two. I'd rather do a if we're moving up. If Killian Hayes is there at six, I'd rather move up with Atlanta, jump Detroit for Killian, grab Killian at six for a smaller price because it's only a two spot move up, and let Atlanta grab Halliburton, who will still be there at eight at uh, at eight because Detroit will just go a Kungwu at seven or someone like that. You know, like they'll they'll lose out on Hayes and they'll just move on. Um, yeah, I would totally do something like that. I, I'm just curious, though, what would we trade to Atlanta? Um, I just don't know, like, what we have that Atlanta really wants um, and what. We have enough. We have a surplus of draft capital. I would think if we swap six and eight and we give them, uh, you know, it depends on what Leon wants to have available for other pursuits, right? So, like. Say he's trying to use a Mavericks pick in the Chris Paul deal, maybe he holds off on that. But I, I think with Atlanta, you know, we have enough of those small, not like super big value, uh, super highly valued picks, but but picks with value. You could use like one of those, and then maybe a second round or like a the twenty seven and thirty eight if they would want two picks in this year's draft or a Mavericks pick. Um, I mean, maybe a future second. I think you could, you could make something work there. Um, it's only two spots. It's really just a convenience thing. If Atlanta knows that they can get the guy they want at both either six or eight, then they're just collecting a little, a little, a little something for you to move up. So, you know, it shouldn't be, it shouldn't be too big of an asset if we were to do something like that. And I would think it would be worth it if we guaranteed that we walked away with Killian. Instead of someone else at eight, I also wouldn't mind trading down, but that's a different, it's a different train of thought. I I'm more so with the trading down with the than trading up. I'd rather get more assets because for the Knicks we are a team that is dire of assets. But you know, let's 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 talk about another trade option that you've also or I guess hoping to have happen, which is uh. Devin Booker to New York uh, situation. Oh man! Now I know. I know. Uh, My John, dream. I know John is. Uh, whenever John hears about these high-profile, uh, these high-profile players, and we got to trade for them, it always gets under his skin just because he thinks about the Carmelo deal that happened so long ago. Um, so, <laughs> what do you got to say, John? It doesn't even like. Let's just like start with Mitch Robinson. Like, first of all, that's our second-round pick who everybody passed on and we were pretty high on going into the draft. As soon as we drafted him, everybody was excited about his potential. Um, and we're finally, uh, I would say starting on his like trajectory. I think like starting now, especially like with, uh, with Tibbs and like a real coaching staff. So I guess like his stock is really low. So why would, and I guess, like, to put it into perspective for Mitch Robinson, I guess his ceiling is, like, what, Tyson Chandler <laughs> or, or, you know, DeAndre Jordan. And I don't think he's that really far off from Willie Cully-Stein. 
So like, we'll, let's keep it in perspective. Like he's not, she's not Shaq, right? Or he's not like the Joker. Like that's not what, what we have here. But still, like, why why are you trading like a draft pick and Robinson to draft to trade to move up a couple spots for another guard? Who honestly, like, that builds pressure. Like that builds pressure on that new kid that comes in to produce right away. It builds pressure on the staff, like trading up for a player. You know, whether we like it or not, that's just the way it is, especially like we're the Knicks, man. So I, I don't know. I, I just I, I could see us kind of keeping Robinson on a hometown discount rather than like dishing him off and, or like bringing in, like we'll get into it right now, but like Devin Booker on this insane contract, like trading everything for all these assets. I, I don't, I don't want to trade everyone for LaMelo. I don't want to trade everyone for Devin Booker. Like if you really want to come here, just wait and like come through or like wait when your stock is low or when you demand the trade. But the last, like the last thing I, the last thing the Knicks need or the Knicks fan base needs is just another high profile player that's going to come to the Knicks or a young guy. The Knicks are going to trade off for a big name that is really not going to do anything in the system. Keep Mitch Robinson, let him learn, um, you know, honestly, like lowball him on the contract. He doesn't stay in the game more than 25 minutes. So like how much, how, how much do we really have to pay him? We're not going to max him out. So I don't know. I just think like, let's keep our draft picks and like, see what happens. That's just my whole take on like Robinson or Devin Booker. If, if, if we have such a big connection with Devin Booker, with the CAA and Kentucky and that whole thing, then, you know, let it be like, let that mature into what it is. I don't see that there's always a need to force it. And like you said, Mello, like Mello's coming here. Why, why give them all that stock? You know, our team would have actually done something with Wilson Chandler and, and Gallinari. You know what I mean? We would have actually had a squad, but we're just going to give everyone away for Devin Booker and become the Suns. Like, no, thank you. We already are the Suns. <laughs> like, I don't know. I just, I don't know. My God, the, please don't say we're the Suns, but I guess with, if we're going to, to wrap up on Mitch, right. It'd be pretty hard to, I would, well, we discussed this with Chip. I would not want to, I think the best option is to wait until his contract ends and then see what his market value is and then pay him that way. I, I'd rather like we, overpay our own guy than overpay somebody else that we want to bring in here. Um, just because we don't know where Mitch is going to develop. We see the teaser that watch out for year three that he tweets or he posts on Instagram or Snapchat, wherever, you know, I want to see it. Um, a lot of, a lot of players always say, watch out for this year. Uh, we are Jets fans, so we know that. Um, but I guess with Mitch, like the only, like, I, I understand where you're coming from. Like, putting the pressure on like Lamelo and the staff to, to train somebody if we did make that type of move. But at the same time, like if you're guaranteeing like that's the person that you want, that's the person that you see, you got to take, you got to take a gamble at some point, like as an organization, you have to make those type of moves and just go for it. Um, so if they believe that Lamelo is like the only guy that can set them in the right direction, then so be it and go make that move. Uh, just hopefully if you do go get, if you do trade Mitch, you get some more assets in return. I don't know. But at the same time, I don't see the Warriors wanting to trade with us just because I think they're going to try to go get like a Beal because they're in a win now situation. And if they want to develop somebody, they can go draft like Wiseman if, with the number two and work on him rather than try to work with Mitch um, and then have to pay him. You can get someone else for four years on a cheaper deal. Um, but let's, let's move on to Booker. And 
I, I agree. I wouldn't want to get Booker right now, but Chris, what do you see? Where do you see Booker? How do you how do you envision Booker coming to New York? Because this is like this whole. I know this is like one of the top like three options people have out there. It's like either Mitch, Oladipo, Booker. So how how would you envision Booker coming here? What what's the whole vision? Yeah, I love DB man. Um, I guess the most likely way of all of him coming to New York would be just like him coming to New York on his own in 2024 in free agency once that deal is up. Um, I think that, you know, if, if he's actually a free agent, if he lets that deal run out in Phoenix, tries to win there for a few more years, it doesn't work out. It does work out. Whatever happens, he's a free agent in 2024. If he's in a room with Leon and Wes, you know, free agency meeting, that's what we hired them for is to excel in those situations. I think they would. I think they could get him to sign um, in a few years in the Big Apple. So I guess that's the most likely way. I can also see, like, if the Suns start randomly stinking it up, I don't know, like, the, that bubble ball uh, high is over and, and they start playing really bad this upcoming season. Next off season, like I could see, you know, but or the the trade deadline after that, the twenty two at the NBA, the twenty twenty two NBA season. Um, if Booker wants out, we would send a giant offer. But I think the most likely way is probably just free agency, um, and I I would want him as at at worst the third, but at best probably only the second best player on the team. Um, I think you need a player that's better than him. But I think he's one heck of a supporting guy. Absolutely. Uh, I mean, just the way that he played in the bubble was just phenomenal. Just everything they did. He kind of just willed. I feel like he, not alone, but he willed that team to like a lot of the victories just by the crazy amount of scoring he was doing for every game. I mean, they went 8-0 in the bubble, which was like unheard of. I, Me, I, I wanted the the dream was to get Portland against the Suns for that play in and then see whoever had that long hot streak there. But I'm with you. I'd like to see Devin come in uh, free agency. I wouldn't necessarily want him in a trade. I'm just, I'm just like, I'd be hesitant to see what the Suns would want because if we see what Paul George is worth, I guess, who who is like a guy who's just, I don't even know. I feel like you can, the Suns would expect something along something along those lines as of a, a return um, that's just my guess because I only see his stock getting higher just by the way he's able to perform game, uh, game in and game out. Um, but yeah, what's up, John? Do you guys think that we use our da- the Dallas picks or we end up just trading them eventually? Or do you think like the Knicks draft those choices? So what's the latest one? The 2023, was it 2023, 2024 or 2022? No, 20. Yeah, it's 21 and 23. 23. Okay. So I think the 23 is the most likely one to get moved in a trade. Uh, 20. Next year's Dallas pick. I think we're, I think we're going to use next year's Dallas pick. Um, it's supposed to be a stock draft as everyone. I'm sure Chris knows more about it. Definitely knows more about it than us. Um, but Like from what I've been hearing is that that's supposed to be the loaded draft. You know, I don't see the Knicks being that good. So we're going to have another lottery pick next year. And based on how tough the West is, because you're going to have a full strength 
uh, Golden State Warriors team looking to make a run again. Um, Portland is going to be different. It's uh, who knows what the system is going to be, but you know, Portland did a playing game. You'd maybe expect the Pelicans to be more competitive. Uh, there's just a lot that we just don't know about the West. There's too many teams out there. And even if the Suns start getting good, right, maybe they do the Chris Paul trade uh, and bring him on the team and they become like a, a true uh, playoff contender. But that that the, that conference is just a big gamble where I can't see us giving up that pick where the Mavs could just be out of the, out of the playoffs and then could be a lottery pick. I can see – uh, both picks getting moved. I can I can see them getting made, but it's like I think we tr- it's tough. I think we might trade the twenty one pick this this off season, whether uh, whether for a player or uh, with a player for someone. You know what I mean? Whatever it is, maybe it's draft related. I can see us moving it in a trade up. I can see us moving it in a, a Chris Paul deal. I can see us trading it. There are a couple scenarios where I can see it going right. So, um, for like that, I, I don't think he'll get traded anymore. But when Zach Levine was seeming to be available, I thought they would offer that twenty-one Mavs pick in a Levine deal. So, like that's the kind of trade it, it could also maybe go. In. Um, I can also see that twenty-one pick getting moved like on draft day if they want to move up next year. You know, say they say they get number nine overall after a, a season of some winning, some losing. There's a guy they really like who's there at four, and they have nine, and they have 23 from the Mavs, right? Maybe they take nine and 23 and something else and try to move up to four, you know, whatever it is. Like, um, I can I can see them moving e- either pick, honestly. If we move the 21 pick, Dallas pick for Levine or Chris Paul, we need drug tests to every single member of the Knicks front office. So you're super high on that asset? You think that's going to be like a – and I'm also like super low on both of those guys based on their contract. I got you. I got you. Yeah, like those. Like if you were gonna throw out, like you know, that we're gonna go get D booked this year and like get rid of all those picks, like I'm with you, like no problem. But Chris Paul, like that's like a a second round pick and like Randall and Knox to like match the contracts and like we can get out of there and everybody's happy. So like I, I don't know. I, I, that's the one thing that I'm actually excited about with the Knicks front office is that Mills is gone and that these assets are now valued like properly. Like Mitch Robinson is going to be properly valued. Uh, our draft picks are going to be valued correctly. Even our young guys that other people might not like, like DSJ or Kevin Knox um, that really haven't produced, like they're going to be properly valued because like we have the proper agents, we have the proper coaches that like have have been around these circles like these aren't new guys to them you know what I mean they're not walking in there and seeing uh Kevin Knox for the first time they've known Kevin Knox for like nine years <laughs> you know what I mean so uh th- that's what I'm hoping for so I hope to God that you just that just sounds like such right. a Mills thing to do like oh yeah we got some draft picks later it's gonna be a good draft all right let's get Chris Paul who's gonna be a free agent like that sounds good to me I would that does sound like a Mills thing <laughs> What was it? Uh, as long as there's no more uh, Malik Monk and Terry Rozier trade talks coming this way, we're heading in the right direction from a very, very, very low bar. Um, yeah. So. <laughs> yeah, I do not want Rozier. I'm, I'm with you there. Yeah, I, I, will, I will cry if he somehow ends up on this team, um, especially with that contract. I will. I may just throw this computer out the window. Um, but let's move on to happier things. 
let's move on to the actual <laughs> the actual crux of this episode, which is the uh, the meat and bones, which is the draft picks for this upcoming year. We got three picks this year, Chris. Let me ask you this before we get into you diving into your top three choices for each pick. Do you think we keep all three picks this year, or do you think one, two, or all get dealt? That's a tough question. I've come out before and said that I think there will be some sort of movement, but that was before we fell to eight. If we had gotten like the fourth pick, I would have guaranteed you that they would have moved up to two at least, um, either one or two from four. But we fell all the way to eight, and I don't – if they just stayed put and made three selections, sent the 38th pick to the G League instantly for the whole year, played the 27th off the bench, and maybe started the eighth or maybe played him off the bench as well. I have no idea. Um, I, I would have told you before we fell to eight that they would have definitely traded around. Um, but now that they fell to eight, I don't, I, I, I have no idea if they'll move their picks or not. Um, I would, I would say to not be surprised at movement, but I would say that if you're expecting it, that may be too harsh. That may be too, too aggressive of a, of a stance. Okay. So we, I guess, I guess my next question for you then is what do you think, what would you like to see happen? Would you like to see the Knicks like, uh, well, you pointed out earlier, you'd like to see them trade back. So I'm guessing move like the eighth pick and go back and do those type, do some type of moves like that. Um, would, well, well, what do you, what do you expect with all these picks that, what would you like to see? I guess is a better question. Totally depends on who their guy is. Um, Cause then I have a, I have an optimal way of navigating the draft for each guy. Right. So like say Tyrese Maxey is like, they're like, holy crap, we need this guy. Kenny Payne has that inside knowledge. He's like, you need this kid. He's going to be ridiculous. I don't think you need to take Tyrese Maxey at eight overall. So if if they really want Maxey, if you can trade back with Phoenix and scoop up Ubre for as that compensation, so Phoenix can move up because they have to pay Ubre soon, right? Um, or no, who they have to? They're going to be running out of money when they make some moves this, this off season. So if they need, if they want to let off Ubre and actually get some value for him, um, if you trade back from eight to 10 and then wind up with Maxi and Ubre instead of just Maxi at eight, that that's a great way of going about that. Um, say your guy is Killian who I love, then I would say just get him at eight, maybe even trade up to get, you know, so it depends on who they really want. I would love to trade back get an extra asset, if it's a top, if it's a top guy from the draft, I'm okay moving up a little bit. I kind of don't want to trade all the way up to one or two. I think that's a price that we can't really afford to pay right now, based on where we are as a franchise. Um, but I'd be totally happy trading down or slightly moving up. All right, and I'm I'm with you there. I'd rather see the Knicks trade down. That's more. I know it's very rare. I think it was only been three times recently. I don't know and within how many years, but I think there's only three within like the t- last 10 years or something along those lines where teams have actually moved down. And the most notable one that comes to mind is the Celtics with the Sixers where they traded back and got Jason Tatum. Um, I would love to see the Knicks pull off a move like that. That would just, you know, that that would just make me <laughs> – be the happiest person on earth if I saw that happen. <laughs> I don't know if that will happen, but I would be the 
Boston, though, they when they did that trade and they moved down, they said that they had Tatum locked in from the very beginning and that they that was their best player. And they're kind of they're t- telling the truth. Like we thought that was just like, oh yeah, whatever. You have to say that uh, when we're all worried about Lonzo and Fultz. But turns out they were right. I hope. I don't know. Like if we could if we could do something like that and get someone sixty five percent of Tatum, that'd be fantastic. For sure. So. I guess let's start with well, let's start with the eighth pick though. Let's let's start getting to what we what we're here to do. So Chris, with eighth pick, who are your top three options that you see going at eight? Top three realistic options, you would say. You want to hear like the yeah. Right, so options. Um, I mean, if you want to throw it, if you want to do two realistic options and your favorite for eight, you can do that too, and you can do that for all the gotcha. Games. Yeah. Um. Well, no, I'll do. I'll answer the question, which uh, I guess the first, my favorite for sure at number eight, if he falls, if, 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 has to be Killian Hayes. If he's there at eight, it's got to be the guy you take. Has to because he's the number two prospect on my board this year. So it goes without saying. Getting him at eight is is a must if he's there. Um, next up, I'll, I'll go with someone who I think the organization might actually select. Um, and I, I, I think there's something fishy about the reports relating to this, this prospect recently. Um, and not fishy in a super bad way, just like I, I don't know if they're directly a reflective of organizational interest, but Isaac Okoro is number seven on my big board. I'm a huge fan of his game, um, and I'd be totally fine selecting him at eight if he were available. Third option... I'm going to go with someone who I think the organization might even like more than, than a Coro, um, who I, I can totally, totally see them taking at number eight. It's Devin Vassell. He's number nine on my big board. So, um, you know, I, I would be fine with it. It's not a crime to take the ninth best guy with the eighth pick, especially in a draft like this. Um, I have Maxi at a spot above him. I just don't think that they would take Maxi at eight. Um, and, you know, you asked me with the eighth pick, who are my three favorite guys? So Vassal would be number three. I'll, I'll give you the bonus answer, which is someone who I don't think the, the team would take, but who I would personally, if Killian is gone, take over Okoro, over Maxi, and over Vassal, and that's going to be Poku. If, if Poku is there... I'll go Poku over any of those three guys. Give me Killian over Poku, but I'll go Poku over Okoro, over Maxi, and over Vassal. Um, I don't think Leon would take him. I totally would. So. Okay. Uh, shout out to you. And I don't know the person's name, but I know it's like NBA Draft Scout like at, on, at Twitter. And shout out to um, Spencer Perlman for bringing up Poku. I, 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 he's a very intriguing prospect. I don't know if he's I don't know if do you actually think he's worth like the eighth pick to take that high of a gamble on because I think a lot of them have them like going further back in the draft. Like his intangibles are are very interesting based on his height. Um, the stroke is there. Uh, he's a little lackadaisical with his play style. Granted, he's in like the B league of over for yeah. <laughs> but do you think he's worth like going for at the eighth? Like so here's the way I think about it. Um, it, 
think about what Pogu can be. I know you you've watched some tape after after being nudged to a bit uh, by myself and and some other people on Twitter. Uh, think about what he can be in the NBA, the role he can serve, etc. Right now, think about a guy like Vassal. If you hit on that Vassal pick big time, what do you have in Devin Vassal? Like Macau Bridges, right? Like uh, maybe a little better than that. I don't think you're getting someone as good as Jonathan Isaac. So if you hit on the Devin Vassal pick, you have a Macau Bridges type player. Is taking the chance on a player maybe being as good as Macau Bridges like worth passing up on what you know you might be able to turn Poku into? It's all a game of I. It's all a game of chance, right? Can I can I get the best out of this guy? Um, who do you want to bet on? I think that Poku is a better bet than people think, just because if it pays off, if it pays off, I keep coming back. If it, if you get it to pay off. Holy crap, is it going to pay off? Like, that is a really valuable player to have on your team. Um, if a player like Okoro doesn't pay off, what do you have? If a player like Poku doesn't pay off, you can still turn him into, I don't know, I like Okoro has skills other than uh, shooting, you know, in the, that, that are good. His shooting isn't too good, which is why he's an intriguing prospect. Um, but, you know, Poku, I just think the chance that you get your money's worth from Poku if you take him at eight, it, 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 I just think it's big enough uh, to have it be worth taking him over a lot of these other guys. I think this draft class isn't that good. Um, and we spend so much time arguing over Okoro, Maxi, and Vassal, and Kira, and all these guys. Like, I these are these are prospects where being an NBA starter is a really good outcome for them. We're not talking about top-tier guys here. We're talking about like, a guy like Vassal would find his way into starting lineups as like the worst player in the starting lineup. You know what I mean? Like He can start, but he, you're not relying on him for anything. He's a piece. He's a complimentary piece. You know, When we're talking about our young core, what we're going to have, if we, if we pick a guy at eight uh, that's not Killian, you know, people, oh, we're going to have RJ and Mitch and the eighth pick and Knox and Frank. And I think the eighth pick is a lot closer to Frank than it is Mitch and RJ. And people kind of talk about it like uh, it's going to be like another like total stud of a player. Like, no, it's going to be a guy who's going to like hopefully be a role player on a championship winning team, which is, you know, you have to be really good to be a role player. But the eighth pick in this draft, you're not expecting some star to to, to swoop through and, and save your team. You're getting a a glue. You're, it's not not really a glue guy, but you're getting a, a piece, a rotational piece. It's not a it's not a star that's coming through in, in with the eighth pick in this draft. I totally agree with you. Um, like when it comes to the eighth pick, I think a lot of people have this like high expectation where they have to be this transcendent player where they got to be like the next LeBron James or even like, uh, I don't even know, like maybe even like a Clay Thompson type of level. And in all honesty, like most of these guys, like if we think of the league as a whole, 450 guys in the league. And if we look at like NBA all-star, right, we're talking about 15 guys on each side. So we're talking 30 in total. Uh, the rest is mostly role players and guys who are coming up and trying to carve out a role in the league and even less than a role player. So if you get a solid role player who you can just throw in there to contribute on a night in and night out basis, 
you you did a good job. You developed them into a useful asset. You, they're great, like in 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 the regard in their regard for a role player. And I think just as like NBA fans in general, it's not even team specific to like the Knicks. It's just like as like a as a fan of the NBA, I think that has to be a, a true realization at this point where the eighth pick is not you know. It's very rare to get someone at that level. It's very rare to get someone who is going to give you that 20 to 25 or more points a night and can just do all these things at such a high efficient level. Those are very far and few like between. Um, But I know, John, you you wanted to say something. What What do you got? I agree with you. And I think it's important to like to hit on that because, for example, Tyrese Max. I know I put him up in like our beginning conversations about the draft and how he wasn't really projected to go eight or that's really too high for him and how maybe like 14 was a good number. <laughs> like, but the Knicks aren't 14 and we're not going to be able to get him at 14 and we'll probably never be on the team again. You know what I mean? Or for a couple of years or whatever, um, especially if he ends up being good. So like, and I think you guys are both correct in saying that it doesn't, None of these players at eight are going to be walk-in superstars, game one changers. You know, it's going to depend on the system. It's going to depend on their role. It's going to depend on how well they practice and how well they adjust to the NBA. That's really always how it goes when you really get out of the top five um, in the NBA. I'm just uh, – I'm curious as to how you're feeling inside that he hasn't mentioned your boy, Alex Keir Lewis. I mean, I love Kira Lewis, but I also know that eight is kind of a little high for Kira. Um, I would hope that they trade back to get Kira. I love the I love the speedster, and I like he's also a good shooter too. I think he can develop more in playmaking. Like, but I think Chris would t- be on the same page. We have to trade back to get him. He's probably somewhere between the ten and fifteen range. I'd assume. Um, yeah, I love Kira, but. I have him 10 on my big board. So I do have him higher than a lot of, you know, mocks have him. Um, A lot of mock drives have him going late teens. Um, I have him number 10 overall. So it's, I'm not sleeping on him too heavy. I just think, you know, top three options at eight. I wasn't just going to go with eight, nine and 10. Cause I, you know, I think we, if the number two guy on my board is there at eight, I think it's a possibility. So I, I went with the second, seventh, and ninth best guys on my board as my top three, but Kira is right there at number ten. I like him a lot. Oh, that's that's great to hear. So I guess we're all seeing the same thing. And hopefully, John, you've been watching some tape too because it, he's just a he's an awesome player to like just watch. Just what he did at Bama was just like it was it, it was just fun to watch. But I, I'm going to go back to Poku and to tie up what Chris was saying. That I understand the. Uh, I guess you're more of the take the risk and see what you get type of uh, play, which I, I like that option too. Like if you think this, if you think, cause I think poke is a seven footer, right? He's um, if you believe the seven footer can like continue to develop a stroke, improve his uh, like play where he's not so lax and he can make good passes. He can bring the ball up and do all these things. And just the ceiling is through the roof for what he can do then, as you pointed out, I, would, I don't think the risk is that big. That's the thing. I don't think it's that that big of a risk. That's okay. my take. No, and that's totally understandable. Like, like I, you pointed out, and what a lot of people have been reporting is that this is, you know, it's an underwhelming draft. It's there's 
uh, what seems like to be a lot of solid role players that are going to be coming out of this. Um, so if that's the case, why not take the guy who, if he's going to be baseline, you know, a decent role player at a seven foot height who can shoot and pass and do all these good things. Why not take the gamble? And, you know, I would have to watch, do a little bit more watching of like his games than, you know, what you guys pushed me to do from there. And like, even like every time I see you guys like tweet something about Poco, I'm like, all right, let me, let me just keep adding on and just like seeing what more I can find and dive into this guy. And I mean, I would, if, if you told me the Knicks could, I guess I'd be, I, I just like care more just cause I, I'm more set on like getting a guard for this team um, and not saying that we should just draft a guard for the sake of drafting a guard. I'm just leaning more towards a guard because we haven't had someone who's been decent since a uh, Jason Kidd and Raymond Felton tandem as a backcourt. I just want someone who can just come in and just mitigate those woes that we've been experiencing for a long time because we don't have a point guard or, or anyone who can just get the ball to the right people it's just it's brutal to watch this game or just watch the next play. Oh, I have to I have to ask look who do I think I uh, who do I think I am asking you questions on your show? But does this mean that you are pro FVV and or CP3 or you're looking for that that uh, lead ball handler talent on a rookie contract and not on a massive? Well, how dare you start interviewing me on my own shit? Not playing. <laughs> uh-huh. Ask 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 questions away. This is a, this is an open discussion. Uh, but I uh, I like CP3. I was on the bandwagon to get CP3, but once I saw that I th- I was Macri said that we'd be having to give up a pick, I am now out of the CP3 mindset because that's not how it's. We should be getting the pick for taking on a massive contract. That's how the Knicks have to look. We shouldn't be giving up someone to get CP. We shouldn't be giving up assets to get CP3 for two years on a hefty deal. The deal, the deal I've been putting out there is Knox and 27 as the real assets that we would be giving up. The rest of the deal being fluff. Um, yeah, I mean, I maybe would- even Knox, Frank, and 27. You know, it, 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 I I'm not a fan of just Knox and 27. And that, trust me. Trust me, that is not me trying to tell you that Kevin Knox is good at basketball. That that's just me saying that I really don't think it's worth taking on that large of a salary. Um, and frankly, I think it's because being bad is better for us long term than being good right now is. So there's no pressure to be good right now. Next draft class is loaded. It's really simple to me. There's no fans to get booed by. Dolan put out a a crap product one more time. Get the young guys some some growing some time to, to get those growing pains uh, sorted out. Get the eighth pick from this year involved. So you have RJ, Mitch, Knox, Frank, the eighth pick. Those are your five guys. You have them on the team this year. Have some off have Frank and Knox off the bench. Start RJ Mitch in the eighth pick. Keep the five involved. And have one year where you're bad, the team grows, you get a top pick next year, use that on a, on a top talent in the draft, and now move from there. Your core isn't good enough right now to pack it up and be like, all right, playoff run time, like, we've got what we've got. Like, no, <laughs> what you have is not much. Uh, people, people, and this, this ties back to our Mitch discussions from earlier. A lot of people, when I talk about trading Mitch, say, well, he's our second best young player. You can't trade him. And I'm like, 
All right, let's let's think about this here. If you have 100 phones, I'm like, but the average person would be like, "Holy crap, that's a lot of iPhones!" Like, you have a lot of, you're really rich, whatever. And then you tell me that the the second best phone you have is an iPhone three. I'm like, I'm not saying Mitch is like that terrible of an asset, but it's like, all right, that's awesome. You have a hundred phones. If the second best one you have is an iPhone three, just cause it's the second best one you have doesn't make it good. It's a crap phone. It's just cause it's the second best one that you have that you're holding it up to such a high standard. Mitch is not that great of an asset. He's just that he, that's just proving my point that we have so little that we're away overvaluing the few, the little things that we do have. Because it's all we have, um, but it's real. Like Mitch is not that good. It's not 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 that value. R R J, like people are talking about. Like I'm not trading R J unless I'm getting Giannis or Luca. Like I would trade R J for for Donovan Mitchell right now, Devin Booker right now. Like you know you know what I'm saying. Jamal Murray, I'd trade R J for him right now. It's like you can't. These people. Just because they're our best young players doesn't mean that they'd be anyone else's best young players. You know, maybe they would a few teams, but but it's the it's the harsh reality that these guys are not that that great. That's why I'm okay drafting a Coro. Is that double dipping with RJ? Like, does does it feel like two of the same kind of player? Yeah, a little bit. But RJ's not good enough to be like, well, we can't draft another RJ type player because we already have one. It's like, oh well. I have this Honda Civic, so I'm not going to be looking at acquiring uh, the Lamborghini because I already have a car. You know, like, again, not trying to say a Coro is a Lambo to RJ's Honda. I think that actually RJ, even if only by a bit, will be the better player down down the line. Um, but it's just, you know, it's these ways of looking at roster construction that just you you have to make these concessions like that uh, surprise the Knicks do not have the best roster in the NBA like now we can have an honest discussion about how to build them going forward you know like i think i think uh, really coming to terms with what you have in your asset bank is super important um cuz i just think you look kind of foolish when you're like i'm not trading RJ Barrett for Devin Booker are you kidding me like RJ is going to be really good down the line and it's like that's awesome that you think that no other NBA teams agree with you, but that's awesome that you think that. Like, it's good to have faith in your assets, you know. But not being refusing to be realistic about them is where I draw the line, personally. Yeah, I mean, I, I personally agree with you that uh, if there was another RJ type or a Lambo type, as you uh, metaphorically talk about, we should draft <laughs> and hinder him. But we should be looking to make RJ better. And not trying to get someone who's like trying to eat, you know do the same thing as him. But one guy you got, uh, you haven't really talked about is uh, Halliburton. Uh, I think he could, if he's available at eight, I think he could like really change up this team. I think he'd be a really good, he'd be in a really good spot with the squad. He likes to dish the ball out. He plays a little defense. He's, he could put the ball in the basket. Like I, I don't know. I, I know he could play with RJ in my opinion, um, but. I'm, I'm telling you, I'm, I've been calling it since the very, very beginning. I know no one was saying it in the beginning because we wanted LaMelo in the top three, and then we fell to eight, and we still wanted all these other players, like Rapid, you know, just just throw it to your face, all these players, like yes, yes, yes to everyone. But I just think because of the lack of um, preparation for this draft, the lack of 
visits. I just think Tyrese Maxey is the lowest risk for the Knicks. And I just think that he's going to come to the squad, uh, especially if we stay at eight. We're just going to hang out and get Maxey. But I think my guy right now is Halliburton. I think he would make the biggest difference like from day one. Halliburton is an, is an interesting prospect. I think you, you said he can play with RJ. I think Halliburton can play with anyone. Um, and that's, that's indicative of strengths and weaknesses of his game. Um, when, when I think about Halliburton, I think he's number 14 on my big board. So he's in the lottery for me. Um, but I have him below some of these other guys. It's because I think about it, and that shows how interesting this lottery is because the Hawks could take him at six and we'd be totally fine with it because that fits, you know. But when I think about Halliburton, it's like, what is he going to do on the Knicks next year? Is he a lead ball handler? No, I don't think he's a lead ball handler. I don't think he's your Jamal Murray, you know, like you, 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 the guy you want with the, with the ball in his hands all game. That's not him. He's not your lead guy. So then what is he? What is he? What's he doing? Uh, is he, is he creating his own shot? Does he have a pull-up jumper? No, he doesn't have a pull-up jumper. Uh, is he creating for others? Yeah, yeah, Halliburton can create for others. That, that's what he can do. That's what he can do is create for others. Is he getting to the rim? Ah, is he drawing fouls? Ah, is he, is he great on defense? Ah, is he, is he hitting catch and shoots? Yeah, yeah, he can hit his catch and shoots. So, so when you really think about what he's doing on this team, he's not the primary ball handler. He's hitting open shots and he's, he's, he's getting, he's finding other guys uh, for, his, for some open layups and some open shots. What is that really? That's a, that sounds like a, sounds like what Frank's doing. You know, like it's, it's, it's not, I don't, I think it's, I think Halliburton's really good at that. Like that role, he's really good at that role. But I think that that role is something that the Knicks just like, if they filled that role and they would be filling it really well by drafting Halliburton, it wouldn't make that much of a difference in terms of the on-court result. Um, it's why I'd go, and it pains me to say this because I'm not a huge Cole Anthony fan. But I'd go Cole Anthony over Halliburton because I think Cole Anthony has a chance of becoming a primary ball handler. And what watching these playoffs, watching guys like Murray, I keep bringing him up, watching guys like Jamal Murray, watching guys like Donovan Mitchell go at it with Jamal Murray. You know, like you draft a guy if you think he has the, the ability to become a primary ball handler. If you think that Cole Anthony can become a team's primary ball handler, then you can take that shot over a, a safer, more connecting player like Halliburton. So Halliburton, team like Boston, team like Atlanta, home run pick for a team like New York, could be a good pick down the line, could play an important role. I think next season he would look really bad on this team, and uh, the people, the same people that wanted him would be crapping on the Knicks for not developing him right, when in reality I just don't think this team offers a role for him next year that he can succeed in. I will say there is an exception to that. If we do trade for Chris Paul, a one, two, three of Chris Paul, Halliburton as your off ball guard and RJ at the wing, that totally works in my books. So if you're trading for CP3, you want Hallie as that off ball guy, fine with me, honestly. It would be a bit of a reach in my opinion, but if he's there at eight, I don't think other teams would see it as a reach. So that, that's where I would, I think actually if we traded for Paul, Halliburton would be an awesome, awesome idea. Uh, if we went with that hypothetical, but with the type of team that I think the organization's looking to put out on the floor next year, I actually think that um, 
Halliburton would underwhelm us. Uh, and that's not a bad thing because I know this, that's a short-term outlook on it. But if we, you know, if you never have a really good team where Halliburton can be like the fourth best player on the court, he, he doesn't have to guard someone super good and he doesn't have pressure to create. He's just out there to contribute, make smart plays. You can take full advantage of his IQ, having him off the ball all the time. That's where he can thrive. I don't think we're in a position to play him there yet. We'd be playing him looking for that, that creation, looking for that score. I totally, I totally agree with you, Chris. And I, it kind of would be what Chris Paul had with OKC, where you have uh, an SGA, Shea Gildress, Alexander working off ball. That's uh, that'd be kind of the similar type of construct we'd have if we did trade for CP3. Which, like I said earlier, because his stock has risen in trade value, no. And to answer your Fred Van Vliet, which I saw, I don't even know if this is true or not, but uh, Knicks are. Report. I forget who tweeted it. Um, I forget. It was like $22 million for Fred Van Vliet. I, you can give me a hard pass on that one. Uh, anything under twenty, we can start talking about having him on the team. But, uh, well, I actually want to know, where are you on the mindset of Fred Van Vliet before we go to the 27th pick? Because I'm like, meh. He's a good, he's a good uh, role player and like a good – third team option but you need other guys to really make him like thrive so how do you feel about it i think i'd be fine signing him because you can move that contract down the line um if it's 20 mil a year for four years four for 80 uh i i'm reluctantly okay with it because i think i think you take that and you take whoever you drafted number eight this year and you take your mavericks 21 pick and you take a knicks first rounder and that can be your, your like for entry level Donovan Mitchell bid. You know what I mean? Like that, and that's not enough to get Donovan Mitchell. It's not, but that can be your starting. And you can take Fred, and you can keep piling on first rounders to that offer. I, I don't know. I just think FVV is a guy you can flip um, because of what he, it's. It's like look at Rubio right now. Like, it's, are people really viewing that eighteen million year deal for Rubio as a huge overpay? Like, no. He's he's really he's doing exactly what they're paying him for. Um, I think Van Vliet would be similar. I think if I think worst case we could flip that contract. Best case we keep him on the team, you know, and he contributes for us uh, here in New York. Which I, you know, I don't think I'd pay him twenty two, twenty four, whatever million. Probably draw the line at four for eighty five. Four for eighty five. That is that would be twenty two. That would be twenty one point five, right? That would be the most I'd do is four for eighty five. And I'd do it reluctantly. I would do four for 80 reluctantly, but I'd still do it. Uh, you know, reluctantly. I, I'll sign him at that level. If you can get him for four for 65, you'd totally do it. I doubt it, though. But Yeah, I mean, I, I'll gladly hop on that deal. Uh, no, I, I, my, I wrote about it. Uh, my thing with Fred Van Vliet is that I'm, I guess, from seeing what we had with Tim Hardaway Jr., who's being successful with the Mavericks, Randall, who was successful with the Pelicans before coming over here, guys who have been good role players, like third, fourth team options, who then we overpay for their value just to have them here to try to be like a lead guy. Like that's that's where I like I got to draw it because if he starts stinking it up, and yeah, I'm more on the side that he is a tradable contract than not. My fear is that if he starts stinking it up, who who wants Fred VanVleet unless like. And I don't know how many teams would be in the cap situation to trade 
for Van Vliet. I know we'd have to match salary and so forth, but even still, like you have to think like going further out, like who can we bring on the team to like even surround him with whatever team, like, I don't know, say if like we get him in, we don't want him and we want to move him to Utah and we don't do a deal with them as reported by Nick Van TV, where they said uh, Connolly for Randall. Um, I, I don't know. It's just, I, I see, I guess I'm just hesitant to be paying someone that much money, especially when we need the cap space for other, we need other solid role players as well. To keep, yeah. You know, no, it's a valid concern. Um, but yeah. 2022 where we're, we already signed Van Fleet. He does bad. And we're trying to trade him for Booker. He's already, he's already trying to put the places in for that. <laughs> Maybe. Uh, Maybe. <laughs> oh man. But Eventually. Let's, <laughs> let's, let's move on from the, 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 the free agent talk. We can have Chris back on and talk more free agent, uh, ideas at some point, but let's move on to the 27th pick that we got from the Clippers who lost to the Nuggets, who everyone flamed on them on Twitter last night. Um, still looking for playoff P, but let's talk about the 27th pick that we traded Mook to get. Who do you see? Who are, once again, favorite in your top uh, two or not your top two, but your two realistic options for the Knicks. And if you want, you can always throw in the bonus. We're always accepting of bonuses around here. <laughs> the bonus, the bonus is welcome. Um, I'm going to go two guys. I have them back to back on my big board um, at the 16 and 17 spots. But these are, I think one of them could be available at 27. Those two guys are Grant Riller and Desmond Bain. Um, I have them that high on my board. Some for some people that's not that high at all. For some people that's you know way too high. I have Riller and Bain at 16 and 17 respectively. I think one of the two at least could be there at 27. So totally either of those two guys. Um, the next few guys on my board I think would be gone at 27. Someone though, shout out to uh, Colin Loring who had me check him out. Uh, Jalen Smith from Maryland. Man, if he's there at 27, and and I I think Taj Gibson will be on this team next year, but Jalen Smith would be an awesome backup five for us. Uh, you know, maybe maybe we get him next year, and we don't play him too much, get him G League time, let him develop, and then the you know the year after we start playing him as our backup five um, behind Mitch. I think he has a lot to bring around. Uh, he has a lot to to develop. But I think that if he develops those things, there's a clear role for him in the NBA for years to come. You know, he'll have a long career. So that there, that's the, that's the bonus guy. Is it would be Jalen Smith there at 27. Okay, I like Jalen Smith too. Um, what he did with Maryland was awesome. He can, I like his. Sh- I love the energy that he brings, and he can shoot for a big man. Once again, we you know we got rid of the guy that could shoot, who is our big man. Um, but I would love to have Jalen Smith on this team at 27. Um, who is the who's the first person person that you mentioned before Bain? I I, I actually don't Riller. know. Yeah. So who's Riller? Uh, go go a little, a little detail on him. Grant Riller is he's a guard, so he's a point guard. Uh, he's six foot three. He looks honestly. Is it unfair to say that you look a little bit like Grant Riller? My- you have to look him up and see what he looks like. You ca- you kind of, Alex, you kind of look a little bit like Grant Riller. 
Um, he's like 6'3", 190-ish. Um, his numbers, synergy, his synergy profile is, is beautiful. Um, are you seeing a photo of Grant Riller now and realizing that you kind of look like Grant Riller? Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> that's... Um, I looks like that's I... That's really good. Jesus Christ. My God. You were not kidding. Um, I, was not, I was not kidding about the Grant Riller comment. Not. Oh, uh, my God. Um, well, it's okay. If we had Fizdale, we have Fizdale right here, who John Malika looks like. <laughs> we got I love it. It's everywhere. Fizz and Grant Riller on the pod. Uh, no, but Riller, Riller's a baller, man. He, he's he's good at the – he stinks on defense. But he averaged 22, 5, and 4 on 50%. Um, Riller's a baller. He can shoot it, uh, and, and he can drive, and he can, he can draw fouls. Um, really good on offense. The defense would need some work. But that's, that's someone who I think has potential to be, like, your second ball handler on the court. Um, dare I say, like, in a – at, at worst, like a Schroeder role, come off the bench and and, and get some points up, do I, some playmaking too. I, I could take a Schroeder role off the bench. I mean, he, he was close in the sixth man of the year this for this season. So Yeah, so uh, play style, not too much like Schroeder, but level of impact, maybe, maybe. Um, and at 27, that's a swing that I would, I would, I would swing at that, right? If at if at twenty seven in a week draft you can get close to six man of the year level play, um, oh that that might be a little that might be a bit high of an outcome for Riller based on on some people's opinions of him. Um, but you, I, I would swing at that. So if he be, if you draft someone at twenty seven and they become the six man of the year, you're you already won the draft yeah. aspect. Like we the Knicks won the draft. When uh, two years ago, when they took Mitch with the the second round pick, so that is like uh, it's just that simple. You you'd win. So I guess is this, he would be someone that you would expect to be in the G League, someone that's like coming in, already being on the bench, like trying to make an impact. Miller, he should be able to play uh, a bench point guard role in, in his first year. Under you know Tibbs runs those ten man rotations. Uh, Miller should be able to come off the bench. Maybe it's Augustine and Riller. Maybe it's Riller and Nilakina off the bench, but I think he could do that. Okay, solid. Uh, that's that's a name I've not heard. Desmond Bain, though, I would I would like Desmond Bain just to get some four spacing on on the court. Um, Dougie, for sure. No. What was that, John? He, he's he's Dougie McBuckets. Like he's just another uh, Doug McDermott. Of the bench, like he did pretty well uh, at TCU. Uh, he, I think he's like six. He was. Um, I think Bain's giving you more than Dougie McBuckets. I think that defense is. Let's go. Is notable. Bain, I'm a big Bain fan right here. That'd be if he falls to us uh, for the 27. I think that'd be a steal. To be honest with you. What you don't like my twin here, uh, John? You don't want my twin on the team? What the hell? <laughs> I, I feel like I feel like. It would nothing would be better uh, than if we got him later or he went undrafted just so you could throw him in Westchester and you can go hang out with him in Westchester <laughs> for all the games. I do attend to you attend too many Julie games as is. Um, and I would probably be like, hey, uh, I'm Wasp family. 
uh, I am I'm in need of some money. Please, bro. We probably get we can you know get some burn as a doppelhanger with the Westchester Knicks. I, I feel like it's a great idea. It would be like that uh, Clay Thompson uh, guy. Yeah, get in the warmups out there. Yeah, 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 yeah. Do you remember the Clay Thompson uh, doppelganger who was just like high fiving and signing autographs and stuff like outside? Oral? Yep, yep, yep. Uh, that, that's that's what we can get going on at uh, was it uh. The, the, the Westchester County Center. Um, yeah. <laughs> okay. I love it. Yeah, we'll have Chris on the on the bench being uh, the, the coach, the assistant coach for this. <laughs> I'll be Iggy Brazdakis. Oh, right. There we go. That's what I'm – there we go. <laughs> and then, and then, and then make the return as Fizdale. That, there we go. We got, I need, got I the, need to grow like seven inches for that one. <laughs> um, um, okay. but not too close to Iggy's height. So I have all those, I have all the picks that you gave me for twenty-seven. Who would you like the most? Is it is it Bane? You gotta want- gotta go Bane. Okay, so you would definitely. I have Riller over Bane on my board by one spot, um, but I think that Bane, yeah, I think I think Bane's exactly what we need. So, okay, now you're give me Bane. Now now you're closer to the source than I am because you're next to you. You work with Jonathan Macri of uh, Nick's Film School. How, is anyone looking at Riller? Is anyone like, is that in like conversation? Like he dropped like this week or last week that Kira is getting some looks. Um, what's, uh, what's happened with this? Like, or is this just like a, a do you think, or is this just like a, a- nah, Riller? I've, I've heard nothing in connection to Riller uh, and the Knicks. Um, no, for Mac, Mac, yeah. Kira, Kira has been getting looks and, and Cole too. I thought it was just the old regime uh, that, that liked Cole was scouting him a bunch. Apparently they've been scouting him recently as well. Um, and we got the, the Vassal and Okoro rumors as well. Those came out also uh, from different reporters. So I would definitely buy into the Vassal report. I would not buy as much into the Okoro report. The Kira one interests me. And Cole, I, I've said for a while that I, if they picked Cole at eight, not sure I'd be super surprised. Um, I'd be disappointed, but I'm not sure I'd be super surprised. So uh, nothing with Riller though, nothing in connection to the Knicks. Just just a just a good just a good prospect. Okay. Just wanted to clarify that up. And with you, I would be a little I, I would want Cole a little in the back, like round ten. Like if we could trade back there, Cole, I'd be happy. Eight. I'm not sure. Like there's a lot of upside with Cole. I think he's got the pedigree because of his father playing in New York. He is from the New York area. He understands the city. Like everyone throws that out there. And to some extent, when you have that, you know, NBA pedigree like RJ does, or like just that professional basketball pedigree like RJ's father, I, can't, I don't remember RJ's father played in uh, the NBA or not. Um, pretty sure he didn't, but it just, it just helps players transition more fluently to the league. But let's move on to the last pick that we have in this draft, which I don't know about you guys. I, I think I'd be a little shocked if this one, the 38 doesn't get packaged with something or if we do it, I actually, I, I can see it going either way, but where do we see the 30? Who do you see Chris with the 38th pick the Knicks selecting? Who do I see them taking or who do I want them to take? Get the same, the same system, Chris, same system. Give me uh, your favorite, Two realistic. Some realistics. All right. Uh, let me go. Man. Uh, mm, this is tough. 
I would I would want them to look at Killian Tilly. Uh super talented prospect. He's a big man, he's French. Uh 6'10 was at Gonzaga. Um listed at the I think maybe listed at power forward center, but I would just play him at center. Uh he can shoot that thing. So I, I'd look at Tilly at at, at thirty-eight. I think guys like I don't know if, if Trey Jones will be available then. I think Trey Jones might be one of those guys that falls a little bit. And we're like, how is he still there? But he keeps falling. Um, Trey Jones is available at 38. You know, count me in. Um, and this might be way too late for him. Maybe 27 is the spot for this guy. But Leandro Bomaro would be awesome at 38 as a as a player we could stash for a year if they want to do so. Um, but I could see, you know, a different team, maybe a team like Boston picking him up in the late, late first round and stashing him. Because they don't have the roster spots either. Hey. No, those those are some guys. All right, Magri did uh, mention about the Balmero trade to the Celtics, or or doing like swapping picks, trading back with the Celtics, and then stashing him. Um, out of out of those three guys, who would you see the Knicks most likely taking? Jones for sure. I think I think they might go Jones at twenty seven if they're picking at twenty seven. So okay. Um. Yeah, 38 totally. I think if he's there at 38, they just make the pick. Okay. Tibbs had Tyus, loved Tyus. Tyus did great under Tibbs, so Jones would make – Jerry Trey would make a lot of sense at, at either of the later two picks. Okay. Make. And now – Jones and RJ, man, that was a squad. They they, they played well. Reunite them? I don't hate it. I don't think Trey Jones is the best um, – I don't think he's the worst either. I think he can be – I think he can develop into into a, a a good backup point guard in the NBA. Like on a good team, he can be your backup point guard, I think. You have Trey Jones and Frank as your backup guards. That's a that's a feisty tandem. <laughs> definitely, definitely is. You're, you're def- defensively, that is – it's going to be tough to get anything through the, the perimeter and the point of attack. Um so with those guys being said, who, do you, who would you say right now, all three picks down the line, one for each, what do you see it for the Knicks going right now using all these picks? Oh, all right. I, I'll play it realistic and say that Killian's gone by eight. So a full draft prediction. Um, tough, tough, tough. I'll go... Oh, you know, at 38, I'll pick a guy who I really like um, and didn't bring up at all, actually. I'll say they go Vassal at 8, Trey Jones at 27, and Isaiah Joe at 38. Isaiah Joe would bring – that would be some awesome shooting. They could send him to the G League for his whole first year, um, and it would would be fine. He would just get to develop there another year of development and then come into the rotation next year. If they want, they could play him off the bench this year. I would like that because it means that the team's not that good. Um, I, I want to lose a lot. I want to have a great pick next year. So if we bring in, you know, say the starting lineup is Augustine, Barrett, Vassal, some four, and, and Mitch, and then off the bench you have Trey and Frank and you have Joe at the three maybe. like That, that would be fine by me. So – if that that that's a draft that's a, a little bit optimistic by me uh, on my part, but a little also realistic. You know, Vassal and Jones being two guys, I totally see them taking at those two picks. 
uh, yeah. No, that's a no. That's a solid draft for. It's not necessarily like the, you know, uh, it's not necessarily bringing in the headlines for everyone just to get everyone like revved up for those picks. Yeah, no, but you're you're just trying to add solid NBA players for sure. And I'm not saying I want you know anything to rev up the headlines just because headlines mean nothing. It doesn't translate to wins. Doesn't translate to a good player. It just it's a lot of show for uh, publications, but. With those three guys, how would you see all three of them fitting in with the Knicks with uh, Vassal being the three and D Jones helping as a second guard with uh, Frank um, with the second unit. And then Isaiah Joe, like, I, and please like you can go more into Isaiah Joe. Cause I don't know much about Isaiah Joe. I don't think my volume co- efficient shooting, all so, shooting, not that- just, not just, <laughs> not just efficient shooting and not just volume shooting both efficient shooting and volume shooting at the same time. No, that's, re- that's really all you need. Um, decent defense and, and great shooter. That's, that's what you're getting off. The, it's, it's like a value vassal pick. Um, I guess you're kind of hoping that he plays that like Daniel house role. Oh, like, you know, you know, that kind of guy. Yeah. Um, I'm telling you this, this draft, you're not getting stars out of this draft. You're, you're looking to, at the, with the early picks in this draft, you're picking guys who you know will be good role players, maybe can be starters. In the middle of the draft, the late first, early second, you're picking guys who maybe can be good role players, maybe, maybe can be starters. And at the end of the draft, you're picking guys who maybe can be role players. <laughs> like nowhere in this draft are you chasing any sort of top talent. Um, it's a, it's a, it's a, the puzzle piece draft. You know, like you're, you're getting just one more piece of the puzzle. You're just, you're just not a not no no there's no star chasing to be done here um so no i you 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 kind of explained how those three guys would fit you know when describing but um i I think we need shooting we need defense those three guys would all bring those two things um trey jones maybe less shooting but he, he showed some improvement um i think it's kind of hard for his stock to improve from year one to year two, unless he showed some like ridiculous, ridiculous uh, improvement in, in terms of his three point shot. So I, I kind of view him the same way I, I did after his first year. You know, I saw him as a late first round guy still do. Um, even though the, the quality of draft class might've lowered a little bit. Now that's, that's this draft has a lot of those role player guys. So once you get down to this level, there's a lot of players at this level. That's why I kind of have Jones at the same spot in the draft. And I think he could come in and play well under Tibbs. I think Joe would be a good shooter. And Vassal, you know, just kind of gives us great, great team defense and gives us some shooting on offense that we can use. Um, hopefully, you know, not going to be shooting a bunch of threes, just hitting a nice percentage of, of the few that he gets per game. And then that would be it. Have, have guys like RJ do a bit more of the offense. Uh, the offense uh, shoulder a bit more of the offensive load. Have a guy like Vassal just come in, hit some threes, play good defense, keep effort level up. Uh, that that would be about it. No, but I, I think those guys would fit on the team nicely for sure. Awesome. No, that sounds like that sounds like a team that the Knicks need. Team that plays defense. Team that shoots because we didn't have much of that last year, unless we're talking about defense in the paint, which. I don't know if uh, everyone got the memo, uh, specifically uh, Perry and Mills, but uh, a lot of the shooting is done on the three, not in the paint anymore. Um, but no, I, I I like that. I like that. I, I would like those selections a lot if 
that's how it all transpired. Just because you already said it, we, we improve in areas that we didn't have and we continue to develop. I guess the, the next part would be letting those guys develop and playing them and not signing any more veterans that would eat up into their minutes. Um, and it seems like you're the proponent of tanking or is this developing and taking what, what's, what, what do we get? Yeah, I think, I think you can never argue that losing is better than winning, but I think next year, if you know you're not going to win enough games to make a serious playoff run, you know, you're not going to win enough games without Chris Paul to maybe even make the playoffs. Why not just stay at the bottom? Why not just stay at the bottom? And, uh, if you are better than a tanking team, have it be because you over outplayed expectations. Don't, don't, don't put yourself in a situation where if you fail to meet expectations, you're still near the playoffs because then you're not getting a good pick and you're not getting in the playoffs. Hey, I mean, I, me, me personally, I'm just, I'm never in the mode to like outright tank like Philly did. But if you're telling me we're going to be playing guys and trying to develop them and what we do is like, we're losing in the process because we're legit trying to develop these guys and they're just not that good. Totally different story than just outright tanking, and I can get behind it. Uh, John, yep. John, do you have anything that you want to add to this conversation? No, I mean, that would be a fantastic draft as well. I just, I don't know. Uh, I'm excited to see what this front office does with their first draft. I do think that they might just play it safe and get Tyrese Maxey and Trey Jones. That just feels like the two safe picks for one and two, and I won't be surprised. Um, personally, uh, I guess, like, the weird plays for me would be Halliburton and Bain. Those would be two cool, like, picks for me, like one and two. Um, I just don't want to tank. I don't want fan fleet. I don't want to get a free agent to, like, to <laughs> mess with the idea that – the Knicks are somehow a contender now. Like once you sign a free agent, like the clock starts ticking, right? So that's just the, like that's just the last thing I want. I don't want anybody to. Um, I don't want to be like thinking about giving Van Fleet the ball when ha- when we have like a new guard there. Um, so I guess that's that's the whole thing. And I'm I'm really hoping that you can't rely on the kids for everything, though. I get your point, but you can't. You are going to suck if you rely on kids for everything every year. We always suck, man. That's not – I mean, that's not that's, – <laughs> I'm definitely looking for a veteran starting point guard. I, I always say it. Uh, the Knicks haven't had a point guard, like, for 25 years uh, since Stephon Marbury. So once, once we get a point guard, then you could start having, a, like, a normal conversation about Knicks basketball. But before then, like, we're just, like, kind of talking nonsense. We're talking about tanks. We're talking about how Mitch Robinson is the best player on the earth. Meanwhile, he's Willie Cauley-Stein. So, I, I, I get you. Um, I just hope you're totally wrong, Chris, on the, on the stars of this draft. And I, I hope that's, like, really – I really hope that's just a product of not having NCAA this year. Right? Like, like from, from, like, the conference tournaments and – like the big invitation tournament, that's where we people start really separating themselves. We really have like a look of players who who can do it in the clutch, who gets uh, tight in the half court, who can press. You know what I mean? Like you start getting those um, your feelings, and then I mean, b- believe it or not, right? You can live in your own fantasy land, but 
there are scouts that go to these games and uh, and speak with these players and their families and like watch them and see who they're hanging out with and like that gets them more perspective and it, they still miss after all that. So, um, the one thing I I I really do think they're gonna play it super safe. Um, I just I'm curious about this and we really haven't talked about it and like I guess the media doesn't. I think they don't want to say it because they don't want to like say it. Uh, almost like speaking into existence. But do you think that LaMelo Ball and the Ball family are going to like somehow force their way to New York? Because they already sort of like started that process. Sometimes it doesn't work, right? Like uh, we were sitting around this spot with Steph Curry and apparently Steph Curry like intentionally bombed. The rumor is he intentionally bombed his Warriors um, interview because he wanted to get drafted by the Knicks. And they're like, we don't care. We're still going to draft you. (laughs) You know, it went pretty well. Um, already like, yeah, paid off. Yeah. Already like daddy ball is walking around, uh, saying he wants, you know, uh, his, uh, LaMelo to go to the Knicks. I'm sure Lonzo's not going to be too hard to get a trade. I mean, I, I personally love Lonzo, uh, on the Knicks for somebody Me too. Yeah. So I don't know. I, I know like, we're kind of like, okay, if we were top three or four, we'd be like, oh, LaMelo and we would have been all over the LaMelo train. But I just feel like the LaMelo train is all over New York. And I'm just curious as to, like, if you guys think that that's going to play a role with the, with the lack of uh, combine. I think if we had the fifth pick or anything better, um, LaMelo and Lonzo and you know, even LiAngelo would be in talks right now. I think just because we felt so far, um, that's so much less likely that it's just getting spoken about way less. Is LaMelo off the table? No. If we get LaMelo, is Lonzo off the table? No. If we have those two, is LiAngelo off the table? No. But, like, I just don't think LaMelo is that likely anymore because of that. I don't think Lonzo is that likely, you know, domino effect. I just don't. I think as we fell so far, it's going to be tough to wind up with those guys. I I guess for me, I would just – I would – I could take one of them. I would not take two or three of them. I can't see – I can't see having Lamelo Lonzo like running a backcourt and just like because Lonzo still needs to he improves shooting but he's not you know a consistent knockdown shooter. Then we have Lamelo who has to improve his jump shot, and then Leangelo has not even played you know NBA basketball at all, and so like you'd have to come up through the G League and everything. It's just I'll take one and work with one. I wouldn't take two or all three, but. I don't know. I, I agree with Chris, though, that we were – as soon as we fell out of the top five, we fell out of actual conversations of trying to get LaMelo Ball. Doesn't mean it's totally off the table, you know, trading Mitchell Robinson and a draft pick or draft picks to get up to draft him is still on the table. But I don't – I from, like, what reports have said is that the, the Knicks don't want to give up a lot of assets. They want to keep most of their assets to begin with. So yeah. the, I just don't see, I don't see any of that transpiring. Um, but you know, that, 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 that's what we got. That's where we are right now. So we're just a rebuilding team and we're going to suck next year. And just to, just to point it out, John chip said chip and I last week said DJ Augustine. And now we got Chris saying, DJ Augustine. So it, just get ready for DJ Augustine to come to the Knicks. <laughs> I don't like me screaming about Alfred Payton uh, coming to the Knicks because of Scott Perry. I was like, listen, no matter how anybody feels about it, like 
Alfred Payton and Scott Perry are attached. He's coming. Uh, like, let's see what happens. Everyone's like, oh, what are we going to do with Alfred Payton? Why the hell would he come to the team? And I just feel like that's the DJ Augustine. Now. Everyone just yelling at me, DJ Augustine's coming. And I just feel like... <laughs> DJ it's a tip thing, too, though. Yeah, and that's why. <laughs> oh, boy. So, yeah, just just get ready, John. Just get ready for DJ Augustine, because... Um, DJ Augustine, man, taking us to the chip. I'm ready. Oh, taking us to the chip? <laughs> like, that's what I don't get. Like, what are we going to do? We're going to have Frank and DSJ and all these guys, and now a rookie and DJ Augustine, like, just, like, mediocre. Yeah. Mediocre. Like, what are we doing? Like, I just don't get it. Like, th- that's why, like, I-, I-, I agree. I see it. But, like, now we're going to have all those guys plus Taj Gibson. Right? Like, what are we doing? Like, we're going to win four games. Hey, but if we win four games, we get to Chris's point where we get up to the top draft, all right? And then we can – Exactly. Pick. Huh? We get – oh, you can only go down four, right? So we get the fourth pick if we if, – right? Like, that's how – that's what would happen to the yeah. – Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, or – no, if you're bottom, you get – uh it's top five. You're within the top five, I think, right? Yeah. We tried that already. Like, we tried that already. We're getting the worst – you know, the worst pick, and then we had – there was three guys, really two guys, but RJ was right there. And we got stuck with three, like, just by the skin of our teeth. I, I cannot relive another lottery. Like, what, like, this year was enough, but, like, the first year with the whole new lottery odds and New Orleans getting first and just, like, the stress of, like, that guy holding up, like, from 14 on, like, no thank you, dude. Just, like, look <laughs> – eat and get swept like that's fine with me oh my god i'm glad that uh chris you're a giants fan right yes okay so uh you're lucky you're not part of the the jets uh pity on uh no i i'm a giants fan i'm, I'm hoping for construct uh constructive losing <laughs> unlike the jets useful losing yeah the giants somehow are able to well i don't know about gettleman but the Jets are, we, we got, we got, this is a Joe Douglas stand podcast. Let's just make that clear. But uh, we're just used to losing. <laughs> yeah. We're, we're fan. We're fans of a lot of losing teams. I'm, I'm, I'm fans. I'm a fan of a lot of losing teams. You guys, your whole pod is about <laughs> losing teams. So, and I have a, I have a Knicks pod, so I know what it's, I know what it's like to. <sighs> yeah. I think that side just it, it, it encompasses everything about our teams. But you know what? Of course. Let, let's. Uh, that's it for the the Knicks portion of this podcast. So we're gonna take a short break, listen to our sponsor, and then we're gonna come back for etc. All right, guys. Thank you for having me on the show. It was an honor to be on. Um, I'm I'm down to come back anytime because it is a blast to be on on a pod with you guys. So thank you again for having me. It was great to talk Knicks and to the listeners. Thank you guys. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Chris Percy Island and, and that's about it. I'll catch you guys soon. Thank you, Chris, for coming on. Uh, we appreciate your draft knowledge and hope to have you on soon. Um, thank you. Thank you. And we're back everyone for the et cetera portion of this podcast. Once again, thank you to Chris Percy Einan for 
hopping on this podcast and talking draft with us. Unfortunately, you can't, couldn't stay, stick around for the et cetera, but don't worry. We'll get him back on here next time and ask his opinions about the NBA bubble. But, John, what do we got for et cetera today? Well, man, the things have changed in Yankee land, so I'm, I'm really happy that we finally have some good news in our life, man. Uh, I know. it's They, they dominated last night like what I, I kept getting the ESPN notice as I was watching the, the Clippers game and uh, well the Clippers Nuggets game which we should definitely talk about because that game was wild um, but the the Yankees man yeah we'll get we'll, we'll jump into the NBA bubble just like an update on the Yankees so not only has Stanton been called back up not only has Gio been called back up but we're recording on September 16th right now, Wednesday. Alex is talking about how last night we got 20 runs, which was more than the Jets and the Giants week one. Throwing that out there. Jesus. <laughs> um, but today, while we were recording, Cole had a no-hitter going into the sixth inning, and we're actually up 13-1 on the Blue Jays. So that's really good news for us. It looks like we're going to be up to uh, – we're going to add another game. Uh, ahead of the Blue Jays, so we'll be a game and a half up on them. Uh, we'll be good to go there. Looks like the playoffs are going to be set. I believe our magic number is six. Will be six or seven after this game. It was eight going into this game. So not sure how the whole MLB uh, did. So really excited about that. Let me ask you one Yankee question: Clint Frazier, should he stay in the lineup? Yes. All right, cool. So I, I'm just wondering because, like, we have all that, – that's a big controversy right now, right? Everything seems to be set if everyone's healthy. So we have my my ideal outfield uh, will be Hicks in the middle, Frazier to the left, Judge to the right, Stan and DH, and Guardy banging on the dugout with his bat. I think that would be good for us. Yeah, like, I, I am – you know, this is a Brett Gardner stand podcast, but when you see Frazier just, just cranking him out, man, you, you can't you can't keep him on the bench, man. You, you just got to play him. Like, he's doing way better than Gardy does, and I, we love Gardy. I love Gardy. I get yeah. That's my jersey. But Everything that we asked him to do, man, he's an actual defender now. He's been defending well. He even cut his hair, right, when we asked him to. Like, he did, He honestly, he's done everything. He definitely deserves a spot. Um, breaking news, though, uh, Paxton is out for the year. I know he was trying to rehab. So that's not too great for the rotation. But what is really good for the rotation is that Devi Garcia is a man amongst boys, even though he's a boy. <laughs> I really like what Devi Garcia has out there. Jordan Montgomery got back together. Cole is back. His knuckle curve is on point today. Looks like, I mean, obviously Tanaka is Tanaka. He always has a weird midseason, no matter how small the season is. I, I, I'm I'm super confident about the season. Has your outlook changed? Like, are we are we back on? Is everything good now? I think we're on a seven game win streak as it stands. Yeah, we are on a seven game win streak as it stands, um, and I am like I'm being cautiously optimistic that we're back on track. You know, nothing is like said and done yet. I mean, right now we're just it's the it's the middle of the eighth. It's thirteen one Yankees. Granted, it's the Blue Jays. But it seems like the Yankees have finally turned it around where we can get some confidence that, you know, going forward, they're just going to be this dominant team. And apparently, was it Stanton and Judge? Did Judge already come back? Or um, 
his first game back and Gio's back up and Stan's back up. We're all here. Yeah. So like we got everybody back now and um, I'm just, this is it, man. This is, we're getting close to that, that mark. We're coming into like, what was it? We got. Yeah. Playoff starts September 29th. Yeah. We- and honestly, it's not just the, you know, the poo poo blue Jays. We're fighting with them for a playoff spot. You know what I mean? Yeah, I understand that, but like they like we've just been knocking the living daylights out of them. So like, there's teams that we're just good against, and there's teams that we're bad against, right? It was like, uh, what was it, two years ago, where the Red Sox just had our number and they won the World Series, and it didn't matter. Like we got over a hundred wins, and they got over a hundred wins. But there's just some teams that we're just good against, and there's some teams that when we face them, it's going to be difficult. You know, look, the Rays are still a team that we have to potentially go through in order to get to the world series. So this is where like, I'm cautiously, cautiously optimistic. We're going to be in the playoffs. We're going to compete, but it's, you know, what, how, are we going to be able to handle them? Like that's, 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 the, that's the big question. Yeah. Well, right now we'd have to uh, battle the twins who we own in the playoffs. Mm-hmm. So I'm excited about that. We definitely are. It's honestly, man, the MLB generally is all about getting hot. But especially this year, what we learned from the NBA bubble going into the playoffs is it's all about who's hot at the right time. And the last note before we get into the NBA bubble is I'll say that uh, the MLB, I mean, we really have come a long time, Alex. Um, I know it just feels like we just started this podcast, but when we, in the very beginning in our first episodes, you'll remember we had baseball cancellations. We weren't sure the baseball season was going to go. And here we are, man, September 16th right now. Baseball playoffs start September 29th, and the news is that the ALCS and the World Series, which are going to be in quote-unquote bubble environments where the MLB is going to be choosing where the games will be played. So ALCS is in Petco Park, and the series will be in Arlington. Mm. Um, But, man, that's really good news. And God help me, because I am going to spend so much money if I can get my hands on any of those tickets, especially because it's not going to be home and away. It's just going to be a vacation to San Diego in September, in October, and you can end up going to all the games in a row or whatever it is. It's not going to be split, um, depending if I can get my hand on those tickets. So that's just really good news for the for baseball. Um, it's good news for their cap next year, right? They're trying to get some money in for their playoff revenue. Um, it's good news for us. Um, and it's really good. I cannot imagine how the MLB playoffs would go uh, without playoffs. Like that, the whole point is the intensity and the cold and just like die, living and dying with every single pitch. Over, oh, man. That was a, that's the best feeling as a Yankees fan. October, being in the Bronx, watching them. Man, I remember being a kid. Pops used to take me to go watch Derek Jeter, Tino Martinez, Paul Neal, just like watching those guys just like come and crunch and just and just do it, man. They just came out of nowhere and they they won the World Series in the 90s, man. Just there's nothing there's nothing better than a World Series in the Bronx during October. Okay, like there's just nothing like it. And I can't like it's fortunate we're not going to get that. But baseball, October, count me in, man. (laughs) Huh? I, I love the Broncos like you, but I'll take San Diego. <laughs> I know, but the BX, baby, it's about the BX all day. I know, I know. I miss it, man. I miss it too. Uh, I miss, I miss the bodega. I miss, I miss, I miss, I miss leaving work and going straight 
Oh, man, I miss a lot of it. But that's enough Yankees talk for now. And let's talk what had us reeling until the so the wee hours in the morning, man, on the East Coast. The NBA bubble, dude. So we had so we had game one of Heat Celtics where my poor mom, who has been, you know, putting up with the boys in the family for years. My dad's a diehard soccer fan. Uh, me and my brother are diehard you know, sports fans, but especially in New York. Um like we 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 live and die by I I live and die by the you know the Knicks the Jets the Yankees so and she's always been like you know be able to navigate herself but these days she's been really getting into some basketball mm-hmm. um, blame Corona for that or whatever it is but she's been getting into some basketball and I have her watching Celtics Heat uh, uh yeah Celtics Heat last night and wow she was here into it man what do you think about that crazy game I mean that for me right now to be honest with you. Everyone was talking about how the Western Conference Finals was going to be the finals. The Eastern Conference Finals is the finals, man. Dude, Miami and Boston, that's going to be a classic. It's going to be, it's going to be a classic series, just like it was with uh, LeBron and uh, the big three back in the day. And we're about to see it now with uh, the Heat again, with Jimmy Butler, Jimmy Buckets leading the Miami Heat. And you got Jason Tatum, Jalen Brown. All just the 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 wing duo just trying to lead the seas to uh to to the NBA finals. It's gonna be great, man. I mean last last night we saw Jimmy didn't necessarily have like a great game, but he came up in the clutch. But the one thing that we could not miss was Bam Adebayo sunning the crap out of Jason Tatum. Just like he went up, met him at the peak. Tatum thought he was about to yam it, and then, nope, Bam said no. Unreal, man, unreal. I was going, I mean, first of all, dude, his wrist, he, like, really went out there. Like, forget the, yeah, like, forget the. Curved, like, made, like, it, like, went back, like, close to, like, 90 degrees, but he stopped, like, he had the hand power. Yeah, I mean, like, first of all, there has to be something in your head to not want to get posterized at the buzzer of the Eastern conference finals. Like, like it's over, like, you know, like that is in your head. It's overtime. Like for a second that has to touch your brain. You know what I mean? But also like his wrist was about to snap. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, man. No, like it totally was. And I, I like, let's talk about the play that led up before, before that, which was Jimmy Butler, just making that like clutch shot. And then bam, just like playing help defense perfectly read it. And just like met Jason Tatum at the apex of like at of the jump and just said, no, like you're not doing it. That's that, that you said it yesterday in our group text between you, our producer, Ricey and myself, three legendary blocks that occurred. LeBron is one. Uh, what was the other one? Um, Tayshawn on Reggie Miller. Yep. Tayshawn was the other one. And now bam on Tatum. Those are like, those are legendary blocks during like playoffs that we will never forget. Like you will, ne- no one will forget this. Like if you were watching yesterday's game, man, I don't know how you can forget like an awesome opener to the series overtime. I hope we're getting overtime every single time with this this matchup because honestly, there it wouldn't be doing us justice if it just went four quarters. It needs to go five more. That that's just how good these teams are, and I'm just excited to continue continuously watch. And it was like it was a really close game throughout the entire thing. Like we had both teams like trading back and forth. I don't know how many lead changes there were, but that I, I that's what that's what you want man that's legit what you want when it comes to playoff basketball and i think it comes down to the bubble just like nullifying 
of like the like you have no fans, no home court advantage. You've been playing on the same court now for since August, right? So since August, you've been playing on the same court. You're used to it. You know the spots. And unlike when you're traveling to other arenas, you know, the lighting is different. The feel for the court is different. The rims may feel different. Just like all these tiny little things that mess up. Like there's there's reasons why some players have bad shooting nights in one gym and that are great in another gym. It's because the feel for the entire atmosphere is completely different. Here, you're in the same rhythm. You're not having to travel. Also, let's let's remove the, the travel time. So now all these guys are going to be like, it, it's just, it's brought out a level of play where both these teams are, hitting their stride at the right time and have like no fear. And this is where like, I think it's really helping the Miami heat. And this is where I think the Miami heat are going to go to the finals because just they're the team that's white hot right now. They're, they're playing great basketball. They may not always be efficient, but they're playing and making plays at the right time, which is sometimes all you need. You don't need to be like advanced stats, crazy to win a game. Yeah. Uh, I definitely top three block. I would put Tayshawn Prince on Reggie uh, number one, honestly, because he came out of nowhere and it was such a pivotal moment. Definitely LeBron on Iggy two. This three, and then we're definitely not going to talk about Olajuwon on Starks in the 94 finals because that, that didn't really happen and we don't want to talk about that. I don't know what you're talking about. That My memory has completely been erased. I've, it's like the men in black, just like the thing. I, I just flashed myself, so I forget that entire thing. It's uh, then, I have no then, what you're talking about. Yeah, but though I mean, yeah, definitely. Like, a, it, you gotta love NBA playoff moments where, as soon as they happen, you just know that it's legendary, right? Like, you didn't have to wait, you didn't have to see what happens next, you didn't have to like, you know, like see the next play. Just like, boom! As soon as it happened, like, wow, that was legendary, and that like, I can't believe what I just saw. So that that was a really cool moment. I definitely do miss the the ups and downs of traveling. Um, you know, for the for the players, like just like uh, different arenas and like, you know, just like watching even like OKC home games, like how loud they are or, you know, Golden State or, you know, like Garden, like it's just different. Like even like right now, like you go to Miami, watch them clear up by halftime <laughs> or, or you know, you go to Boston and they're probably there from like six hours before the game. Like it's, it just makes it it just makes it, you know, cool and different. Um, and then you get like those weird players who do so much better. I mean, I know Marcus Smart is having a hell of a series and a hell of a bubble, honestly. But, like, Marcus Smart in the Garden during the playoffs, like, he's probably causing, like, 11 offensive fouls. You know what I mean? It's just, you know, like, you, you got to love that. You got to love the bench, like, going off in playoffs. Um, and, honestly, that's probably what really hurt Toronto, in my in my opinion. Yeah. Like, the, like, the, the, Toronto is insane. Yeah, no, yeah. I mean, we got, like, the whole Jurassic Park thing is, like, it's unreal. Like I would love to experience that. Um, but I guess, yeah, I, 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 I see what you're saying. I totally agree with that. I also think like at the same time, like some teams just like come down, like from like their, their high. And this is really what I guess kind of exposes teams to seeing like what, who really needs the home court advantage to play well. Like the bucks got sunned by the heat. Like yeah. my they're on the road this year. What? Bucks were good on the road, which was super odd. And no, they were good on the road, but at the same time, like nothing's the road when everyone's like on the road. You know what I mean? Like the only team that does that, the only team where the road really affects them is the 76ers because once they went down to the bubble, they were still the 76ers. Uh, <laughs> a, little, a little low blow from Alex, but I agree. 
Um, but so you have the Heat. I'm, I'm not going to be surprised either way. Um, I, I'll I since you brought up the group chat, I'll mention what I said in there. I don't really necessarily trust Drogic, Hero, and Duncan. Like when it comes to like game six, game seven, clutch time. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like when it's like finals on the line. But I mean, what does really Marcus Smart, you know, Jason Tatum and Brown really bring to the table? You know, that I have like this uber confidence in. So, hey, look, I'll say this to you about that, right? Like, no one would be expecting Fred Van Vliet and everyone else last year on the Raptors just like pulling their weight and just playing a, like out of their minds. And sometimes like players just play out of their out of their minds at certain points throughout the year and they're in it, they're feeling it, they're in that groove. And, you know, you may not necessarily rely on a Drogic uh, during uh, a game six or game seven, and he might not be normally the person to be putting up crazy numbers or making pivotal plays during, uh, during a playoff run. But, you know, if he's feeling it and he's in it, it doesn't matter. You know, that's where this is where advanced stats get thrown out the window. Like, whatever, it doesn't matter what he does throughout the season being consistent and what we know he is. Like, they're players that just come up, step up to the challenge, and they just do it. You know, if we're going to talk about like players that like to like rise up to the challenge, look, let's, let's even go out of the sport, right? Let's look at like Eli Manning for the Giants. Like, he just like mediocre, average at best, playoffs comes around otherworldly basketball very different usually the team that has the best player is the team that usually wins um that's the difference but look the detroit pistons did it too right like the detroit pistons still got the the lakers back in 2004 so don't don't like you can't write anybody off like at this point especially when it's a neutral site like the bubble it that was a weird year though right that lakers like fell into a lot of injuries in the finals the Pistons were a super-duper defensive team. It just what weirds me out about the Heat is they rely on shooters, and they don't have Steph Curry. Like, yes, they have Duncan Robson, beast. Yes, they have Harrow, beast. They got Jimmy Butler, who could, like, get a bucket any time. They got Dragic, who can light on fire. I agree with all that. I just – and they haven't lost a game yet in the bubble, right? Let's, let's, let's see how it is. So, like, when you say, you know, I got the Heat winning, it, it shouldn't be a hot take. Uh, but, and like, are the Celtics really going to beat them four times? I don't know. Um, my, 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 my opinion is it's definitely going seven. Mm-hmm. I agree. I do think though, <laughs> I mentioned it yesterday. Uh, I th- do think when Gordon Hayward comes in for that first game, Boston's going to lose. So that's another L coming in. Uh, yeah, I do. I don't think that he's going to fit in well. I, I, I love Marcus Smart in that starting lineup. I agree. So I- at least got uh, Boston game two. Okay. Uh, I'm not really sure. I'm really not. I'm really not ready to call it. Uh, but what I am ready to call, unfortunately, even though I love, love, love the Joker, I'm pretty sure he's my favorite player in the NBA. Like I just love that man. He's basically like, he's obviously better than me, but he's just like everything I I always want to be on the court. Like someone who just like dish it to everyone, like hit the three, like kind of like slowly walk down if I feel like it. Like, <laughs> block everyone, get in the lane, like take someone to the back if I want to. Like Joker is everything I want to be on the court. Um, and wow, another 3-1 series for Doc Rivers. Clips going clip. And now we got Denver versus the Lakers at the hands of playoff P. What do you got to say about that, Alex? 
What do I got to say? What do I got to say about that? I'll say this. Uh, playoff P, I am. Um, I don't even know who that is because play- someone who's playoff P is supposed to show up, and this man has consistently not shown up since leaving the Pacers. So I don't know who that is. Uh, I do know a pandemic P who has just been anemic when it comes to playing in the playoffs. But look, man, I'll tell you this. Want to go home? We didn't believe them. Hey, they went home. <laughs> they, they told us they didn't want to play anymore. We're like, no, 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 no. Yes, you do. Turned out they didn't. Yeah, I know, right? Um, but you know, here, here's what I got to say about this about the Clippers. Like, I was in of the belief that they were going to do it just because, like, I saw, like, we saw them play the Lakers, we saw them play the Celtics, like, we saw them play good teams, come out and get some like big time wins during the regular season. And it, it kind of gave us that belief, like, okay, these guys can turn it on. But the issue that everyone has pointed out to was that these these guys have never had the time to gel and become a cohesive unit. I mean, you had Kawhi playing without Paul George. You had Paul George playing without Kawhi. You had Lou Williams and Pat Bev. And they've been, like, everyone was, like, on, on this crazy rotating basis because of, like, injury or, or whatever other reason were. They all weren't together. And they all couldn't create, like – this team bond that they need to like to succeed and playing basketball. It's getting in rhythm and knowing your teammates, you know, it's a lot of quick re- It's not only knowing plays, but it's also knowing the qu- quick reactions when you're coming down and you got to know who's going to be in what corner, what can my teammate do? What do they feel comfortable doing? And where do they like to get the ball? And they weren't able to necessarily get into that type of rhythm. Like they fought off a lot. Uh, they fought off a lot to get where they were. Um, but they should honestly like they were they were frauds. They should have gone a lot farther. This was supposed to be the Battle of L.A. Western Conference Finals. They failed to meet that. A lot of questions is coming up for that team now because, you know, Kawhi created that crazy structure of a deal where it was like two years and an option where now you look like you traded for PG-13. And it seems like, you know, OKC just legit robbed the living daylights out of the man. Like you got Paul George now and you gave up all your assets you do not the Clippers don't have a draft pick and the Knicks got in on this by the way because they traded Mook and got a first round for their this first this this year's first rounder their first rounder so for seven years straight the Clippers don't have a first round pick and now yeah but they they skip right you skip every you can't trade consecutive first rounders they made that rule for the Knicks right they (laughs) that's funny but yes so they can't skip but what they did is like when they traded when they traded all their first round picks they traded, they've traded so many times. No, they traded all of them to different teams to so many times where it doesn't matter. They don't have a first rounder for seven years. It doesn't even matter. The stipend rule doesn't even matter. It doesn't even take effect because they didn't, they traded to, they traded the Clippers, uh, you know, it was like, I forget the entire detail, but it was every other year. And then the Clippers traded to, I think Houston, was it Houston or Philly? I forget who, I forget who else it was, but they traded the, the uh, opposite years as well. And then they gave Knicks this year. So they don't have anything. They're just kind of, they're just kind of like SOL at this moment, because if next year, like they, like we heard that there's no playoff mandate or anything like that, but there is a playoff mandate. Okay. You don't formulate this team. You don't pay Kawhi and give them the deal that you did with the mandate. There has to be. They're, they're, that's just like that's just PR stuff saying that no 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 like not to have them like in the limelight but don't worry they're also the, they're also the Clippers they're the they're like the Brooklyn Nets of LA but at the same time when you have Kawhi and PJ thirteen and everyone else like they have a lot of decisions to make 
Listen, man, they're worse than the Nets. The, the Clippers have never made the conference finals. Yeah, no, that's true. Saying and and I mean, I've been saying it for years, but Doc Rivers is a fraud with a capital F. So, it, I mean, I know that the stats are coming out now that he blows three one and three two leads. Um, but man, he was he's a fraud. Like without without the without the big three in Boston, and he was nothing in Orlando. He's dunking on the Celtics. They're about to fire him before, you know, the big three came in. Can't really do anything with the Clippers. Um, but now he's had two squads with the Clippers, right? You can't even just say now. He had two completely different squads. Uh, I don't know. With a first-round pick, right? And players getting maxed out still till now. I mean, he's always had a squad. He's always had a bench. He got a son over here. You know what I mean? I, I don't know. How, how do you bring in... Paul George, who has like a whole thing with his like, whole family issue with Doc Rivers and his daughter, like the whole thing is just so weird. Um, Doc Rivers, like, is is like, I don't know. I mean, he, he doesn't feel he, he acts like Popovich in all aspects, like he acts like him, but he's just not. He's just like the antithesis of Greg Popovich in my eyes. I hear what you're saying, and here's the thing with. Um with that, when you're getting Kawhi, when you're in the race to get Kawhi, whoever he wants, you bring him in because Kawhi is of that. He's in the top five player currently of the league. Like if you have the chance to get someone of that caliber, you listen to what they want. It's a player's league, whatever demands they make, you got to help accommodate them because that's just, that's just how it, that's just how it rolls. So regardless of PG had issues with uh, Doc Rivers and whoever, if Kawhi needed PG-13 and that was the most realistic partner that they could get, that's who they're going with. So, but, and just, just before uh, I'll let you go, I wanted to clear up with what you said about the draft and you're right that they didn't trade all their draft picks, but they don't have control for the next seven years. So this is, so yeah, so this is how it works. So 2020 Knicks got it. 2021 it's the Clippers have it protected one through, they have their, was it, they have one through four, which is their own, but they have a five through 30 swap with the Knicks. If we, if we so choose mm-hmm. uh, 2022 OKC has it 2023, they own it or OKC can swap with it. Um, 2024 goes to OKC 2025. Same thing. They either own it or OKC can swap with it. 2026 OKC. So they don't, they don't have a lot of control over the next couple of years, you know, and this is where <laughs> this is where it gets tricky because after I think it's uh, when's Kawhi due? Is he due in 2021, 2022? It's between those two years. Um, this is the best year that he's guaranteed on the contract. He's he's actually with Paul George, which I was actually going to ask you, like, uh, and I want to hear your opinion. Would you buy low on him if you're the Knicks? I mean, clearly the Clippers are reeling for assets, like you said. They the the whole like swap thing is is pretty. It used to be, I mean, it's always been there, but it was really never used. But since they made the you can't trade consecutive draft picks because of the Knicks, in order to like kind of go around that rule, they do do the swaps like you mentioned. Um, and Steve Ballmer, I mean, he has a new stadium coming out, right? They just got approved, so they're going to be working on that. You can't just not have a draft pick for seven years. What if Kawhi walks? You know what I mean? Like, so if, if they're, if they're, if they're coming out reeling, right, we might even sign Morris back. Like they don't have that many guys um, and they have all their assets gone. Like, would you, would you buy low on Paul George? Like, what if Bomber called you and he asked for like, you know, the, the second Mavs pick, like the 2023, if it vests 
pick. If not, it gets moved another two years. Um, plus, like, a Kevin Knotts or something. For Paul George, like, how could you say no to that? Because I, what, how old is Paul George at that point? And what do we do? Like, so are you saying we're just we're only just trading one pick to get Paul George? On a contract year, right? We'd have to, like, resign him. So I don't think – yeah, so I don't think that he'd – So we so – And they're back, and then we'd get Paul George to – you know, make a run or do something or entice him to stay kind of deal. In 2021, you're expecting us to be ready by 2021 to go, like going to the 22 season to be making a move. I don't know. I guess I would hope that the Knicks are at that point, but even still, like Paul George has not proven that he's the type of guy to help lead a team. Like when he was with OKC, they got booted out of the first round. Was it two years in a row? So what – And number that- He's not the number one, and I guess we kind of learned he's not the number two. He's he's basically a three at this point. Uh, and that's that's and that's it. Like the farthest he's made it was with the Pacers, I think, back to back years to the Eastern Conference Finals, and since then he's been everything but less. Granted, he's been in the West. The West is much more difficult, and the East is a little bit open. So he could compete in the East, and we could potentially get you know to a conference finals with him if he came back here. I think at that point, though, he would be in his 30s, and then we're talking about a wing player in his 30s, which isn't necessarily too bad. Um, but I would not I, – I don't know. If it's one pick, if you're telling me one pick for Paul George and we have a team that's ready to go to make that move, sure, why not? I doubt we're going to be in that position to do so, and he'll be 32 around that time. So unless you believe that as a 32-year-old, he's going to be like an efficient you know, jump, sh- jump shooter uh, – and can still create for himself and he can still play at a high level on defense. Sure. Why not? But I don't expect that coming down. He's good. He's that's like the tail end of his prime. So he might have like a little bit more left to go, but the way he's been showing and his, his shoulder injury, which is a big concern. Like, no, I'm like, I'm fine with that, man. I'm fine with not making a move for it. Like if it is like, I don't see the, the harm, like trading like a first round. If like you think, like I said, if you think you're going to be, competing for a title that year but if we're not don't do it just like it's not even worth it just just draft the guy and let's continue to develop and let's wait for someone else who's much younger to come fair enough fair enough so we'll we'll get into more bubble talk and more and the nba playoffs will be a little uh a little more clear i guess the conference finals when ricey's on uh for our next recording but let me just before the first game is played la or denver I'm guessing you're going to go L.A. That's not going to be too much of a hot take, but at least give me the games if you're going to go L.A. as well. Man, I'm actually feeling pretty good about the Nuggets. Really? You're going Denver to win the series? I actually feel like I I think Denver is doing something. I think Denver is low-key stacked in a way that the Lakers aren't, which they got depth at the wing position. Now, I'm not saying I I could see it. I'm like – I, I don't know if I can make that call. I, it's definitely go. I feel like it's going to go seven games. We've already seen it right now with the the Nuggets that they're ready to go seven games. I'll tell you this though: if they come back from another three one deficit to go into the NBA Finals, just crown them the champs. Just please, just please do it. Are they team of destiny? Might honestly, like they like they are putting together a hell of a playoff run. They are like two back to back being down three one in the series and coming back and winning both of them. That's that's a that's an accomplishment. I think there was, uh, I think Kevin O'Connor said there's like 11 to 13 teams that have done it. And out of the 13 teams, the Nuggets have now done it twice. So 
that's impressive, man. That's impressive. I'm feeling the nuggets. I'm feeling the nuggets and I'm actually liking what they got. I like what they're doing. They're playing good basketball. I think for the nuggets to win, it's going to be, it's going to be all on how if Murray can stay white hot. Cause he's just a crazy scorer right now, dude. Yeah. I'm, I mean, it's a bold take, right? So Denver's plus 450 to win the series. So if you put $100 on them, you win $450 plus your 100 back. So, I mean, it's a bold claim, right? Um, my prediction for this series is LeBron loses game one, as usual. Starts nodding on the bench with a serious face, as usual. And then wins four straight um, and takes Denver 4-1. And then waits for the winner of the game seven Celtics heat and whoever beat up player comes out of there. They'll probably lose game. They'll probably beat the Lakers game one and then the finals. And then it'll be another gentleman sweep. I'm going to win another chip and we'll talk about how it doesn't count because we have to figure out a way for LeBron to be worse than Jordan. Yeah. Here's a, here, here's the thing. I actually see the nuggets and the Lakers going seven. Cool. I All right. see well, seven and, and we'll go further into it, but I just see it going seven. We can we can save this for Ricey. Ricey, I know you're listening to this. Get ready to have this conversation. Yeah, there'll be more clarity by the time we're recording on Sunday, and we'll probably be crying about the Jets. But since it's going to come out, this is the last pod to come out before week two of the Jets. Jets, San Francisco, depleted San Francisco defense. Give me it, Alex. Do we get do we get our first W this week or no? No. Oh man. Okay. This is this is my week. I'm taking Jets week two. Right. Jets week two with cluster injuries on the on the San Francisco secondary. All this BS about the Jets and Sam Darnold. Jets uh, one baby. Let's go. Uh, to two and two by the first quarter of the season. John, please make me wrong. I will, I would love to believe I I have my feelings. After watching the tape, me and you agreed it was Sam, dude. It was Sam. Sam has to prove us wrong this week. Yeah, I, I agree that Sam. I agree that Sam had. Uh, he he's got to pull it. He's got to be better. He can't be jittery. He's got to pull it together. There's also got to be better. But Gaze has got to be better at play calling and getting him comfortable too. There, it goes both ways. It's not just one way. It's not one way. It is not one way. And that's that's where I'll leave it at that. I'll save that. What we'll, we'll save this for the next Jets podcast. Which thank you for bringing that up, John. Since if you if you don't listen to the Jets episode, we got we're switching up the schedule for us to do. Uh, for us to look at the Alt-22 for football games, we are going to now do Jets coverage on Fridays, and Nick's coverage will be on Tuesdays from here on forth. Uh, we'll may, we may or may not switch back. We'll see how that goes. But as of right now, you'll be getting your Nick's episodes on Tuesday, and you'll be getting the Jets episodes on Friday. Okay? So with that, everyone, thank you for listening to another episode of the Nick's Jets Etc. podcast. Please like, share, subscribe, and tell your friends, your family members about us because we just want to keep growing this community, all right? John, what do you got to say? Anything else before we got we tune out from our listeners? No, that's it, man. Uh, let's go Knicks. Let's go Jets. Get us our first W. And let's get us out of here, Ricey. We've been getting compliments about your music all this time anyway. Shout out Andy. Let's go. Let's go. Later, everyone. Later, everyone.